Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Julia LaRoche Show. We have a returning guest. We are joined today by Harley Bassman. He is a managing partner at Simplify Asset Management. He is also the convexity maven and the creator of the Move Index. In this episode, we get Harley's macro outlook, why he thinks inflation will be more persistent given the demographics, as well as his views on the Federal Reserve's interest rate policy and why he thinks the Fed will be much slower to cut rates than the market is anticipating. And we also get into his best trade idea during this environment, which is mortgage-backed securities. I really enjoyed having Harley back on the show, and I hope you do too. Harley Bassman, managing partner at Simplify Asset Management, also the convexity maven and the creator of the Move Index. It is so great to welcome you back on the show. Great to see you again, Harley. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. It's, it's fun, crisp, uh, a clear day finally in California for, after the rains. So it's kind of nice. I love it. Well, I really enjoyed our last conversation, which I think was October 2022. And so I'm thrilled to have you back. And Harley, I would like to start where I always start with my guest. And that is to get their big picture, you know, macro view, their assessment of the economy and the markets. And while you share that framework, one thing is you can take all the time you need. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I mean, the I mean, the big picture view from where we are right now uh, still is the market is ahead of the Fed by a lot. Um, if you look at uh, the derivatives market, the futures market, uh, they were pricing in, you know, basically six cuts this year in interest rates um, after the Fed basically said in their their dots, their projections, there will only be three. There's, the market's still looking for four cuts. Um, they know something we don't, perhaps. Um, but I mean, that has really twisted the curve in a very strange way. I mean, most people look at like twos, tens, or three months to the 10 year, things like that, about this prediction uh, of a recession. The more interesting spread is actually the overnight rate, that funds rate, to the two year rate. That is really um, very negative, um, negative by the actual number. You know, the two year rate's way under. And um, the market is still saying that um, you're going to see the one-year rate um, 110 basis points lower a year from now. Um, I don't buy that. I mean, it's possible for sure, but I don't buy it. I don't buy it because I don't think we're going to have inflation coming down as hard and as quickly as people think. Um, you know, I've written about this extensively, but in a nutshell, it's just demographics. Um, you know, the boomers are retiring and taking their their labor and their their skills and productivity with them, and um, and they're demanding goods because they have so much money from their stock holdings and bond holdings and real estate holdings. I mean, as I mentioned, the boomers have robbed the millennials. Um, because we vote, by the way, you guys don't. Um, and and, and uh, thus there's this demand and the supply of goods and labor is less um, because there's fewer millennials and also. We've choked off immigration, notwithstanding the border search happening right now. We, we, we've uh, reduced the illegal immigration in this country. So the supply of labor has been reduced. Demand's still high. And uh, therefore, inflation ain't going to be coming down uh, as much as the Fed would like. Mm. And uh, this then feeds into this whole concept of why would the Fed cut rates or not? And uh, my, my thought is, once again, this notion that... Um, 
The great tragedy of mankind has never changed in thousands of years. We wrote about the Greeks wrote about it. Shakespeare wrote about it. It's it's hubris. It's 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 ego. Um, I can not go into politics. I, you guys can connect the dots. I think uh, about ego here on both sides. And Jay Powell is an ego. What's wrong with that? I mean, I have an ego. I'm not, I'm not shy. Um, and and Powell's not going to want to go down as Arthur Burns who was the Fed chairman in the 70s, who, uh, you know, cut rates, the way he took rates up, took them back down again too quickly, and all of a sudden we had inflation coming back, which led to the big inflation of the 70s uh, and early 80s. Um, Volcker, you know, crushed inflation, um, and um, he's a hero. So Volcker is a saint, Burns is a dog. Uh, I kind of think that Powell at this stage of his career wants to have his tombstone saying, you know, Volcker revisited. Um, he slayed inflation. So he's going to really want to wait till he's really sure that inflation is kind of wooden stake in the heart, dead. Um, and that's not yet. And when you have unemployment at whatever it is, three, five, six, seven, eight, um, under four, um, that is not what you call, you know, um, something that's going to go lead to tightening uh, the market and, and, and suppressing inflation. So so we're not there yet. And I think he's going to want to wait till, till, till he sees the whites in their eyes for it to happen. So that's, that's the big picture idea of what I think is that the Fed's going to cut three times it's advertised maybe and it starts till July um, and, and, and thus, you know, the curve's kind of the wrong shape and there are a number of securities in the market that are the wrong price. Okay, this is fascinating, but real quick as a follow-on. Um, so it sounds like inflation is still going to be here driven by these demographic trends that you highlighted. Does that mean like the 2% target might not be realistic. Do you think the Fed might have to reset expectations for inflation? I'm curious what that could mean for um, their policy decisions when it comes to rates. Look, the notion that the Fed cannot, in, in, in you know, 10 years ago, that the Fed cannot create inflation is bogus. They create inflation all right. They can create 10, 20% inflation in Zimbabwe. Uh, but the hard part is taking it from like, a half and one up to two, two and a half. And that, that's the hard part to shred that needle. And similarly, right now with inflation at, you know, three, four, um, can they get to two? Yeah, sure, they can get to two, um, but it's going to take a little work to do that. Do they want to go and do the work required? Probably not, because that would require taking unemployment up to foreign change. So do they want to go do that in election year? Kind of doubt that. So they could probably just leave rates where they are really can't call rates restrictive, at least by the evidence we've seen, which is, you know, uh, GDP coming in at, uh, you know, 3 4%, five and change last quarter. Um, if you add in, let's, let's call it three, and inflation of three, you're talking a nominal of six. Nominal of six, eight, you know, that, that, I wouldn't call that restrictive in any way at all. So, um can they get to two? Yes. Do they want to get to two? I think they'd like to. Will they tighten the screws enough to get to two? No, not in the short term. I think they're going to leave, leave rates here or they think about slowly and kind of hope the economy kind of slides into it. I guess that it's the soft landing notion and that's looking pretty good right now. Yeah. And going back to earlier when you were um, talking about the yield curve, um, a lot of folks look at like the inverted yield curve as um, – a prediction prediction um, of a recession. We actually had the yield curve uh, 
the, the creator of the, the inverted yield curve indicator, um, Professor Cam Harvey on the show not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, you're talking about like the, the twos and tens, the threes and tens. Do you have, an, I guess, a, an outlook as to like the economy? Do you see a recession? Your thoughts? Um, and do you look at like the, that indicator as do you do you think that that is indicative of a recession to come as well? One could argue we already had the recession in 2022. We did have a couple of negative GDP, so maybe it already already occurred. Um, you know, look, we're going to have a recession at some point. Is it going to be in two months or five years? I don't know. So I guess at some point, you know, people could raise their hands and say, yes, it was right. Um, it really has not happened in the ordinary timing that one would expect, which is the 18-month area. Um, I think the, the more interesting question is not, you know, has the Fed taken the front end up too high, but why is the back end so low? Um, um, there's probably factors going on away from the economy that are driving that. Uh, I suspect one of them being that um, when rates got to a certain level, you saw the big long liability managers, the big pensions, the big insurance companies, the guys who, who owe money to someone 20, 30 years from now. That's their liability, right? Life insurance policy, pensions way out there. Uh, these guys have been in the hole for decades. And finally, when rates have gone up enough, they can go and buy, you know, law, ultra long debt securities, 20, 30 year securities, maybe some, 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 you know, credit bonds in there also. And they could defease their situation entirely and make the problem go away. And um, after years and years of, of them being under-invested, um, uh, negative asset liability mix, they could kind of pair things off. That's not crazy. So it could be that people are just, that these long liability managers are buying long dated securities to go and make their problems go away, even if rates should be higher in theory. I mean, the old rules, big old wide tailed rules, was that the 10-year rate should be kind of somewhere kissing nominal GDP. There's, you know, MBA reasons of why that should occur. It doesn't matter. Um, we have nominal coming in at, you know, 6 7%. A 10-year rate of 4 does not strike me as being, you know, high. Um, so could we see rates stay here, go a little higher, as long as the economy is chugging along? Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, unless inflation naturally goes down to 1, um, you know, the curve's the wrong price and, and the attention the wrong price. Hey there, I hope that you are enjoying listening to this episode. If you can, please take a moment to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you could leave us a rating and a review, it would help us so much in continuing to grow the show and bringing some incredible guests for these longer form discussions. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Okay, so in this environment, of this backdrop, um, what is the trade? What is the trade that is most attractive to you or most interesting to you um, as it relates to maybe the Fed and when they might cut, if they will cut? Um, what are the investments that you think will offer the best returns? Um, well, look, let's break it into two pieces. You have equity risk and you have bond or fixed income risk. Um, I, 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 I deal in, in bond land. I don't deal in equities. So should you have you know, 50, 60, 70, 80% of your money in some equity products? Yes. So take it off the table. I'm not going to say sell stocks and buy bonds. Now, you will have some amount of money 
in Bondland um, for lots of reasons. Um, don't matter what the reasons are. You have some allocation there. Where should that money go? What I would say is right now, mortgage-backed securities should be taking on a much bigger proportion than you traditionally have had. Mortgage bonds are, I'm going to say crazy cheap, but I'll, I'll rephrase it, just the wrong price. They're just the wrong price right now. And uh, I think we have, we have a chart that, that you, what we're, you're going to pull up eventually. Um, and on this chart is two, two things. One, the pink line is the mortgage spread. So the spread of a mortgage bond over the, uh, a 10-year rate. And the green line is the uh, IG, investment grade. So triple B and better corporate bonds, which are trading around one, about 50, 52 basis points right now. And the mortgage is going to trade like 150, 160. Um, so mortgage bonds are trading almost 100 basis points more than credit bonds. Mortgage bonds that cannot default. Theoretically, I mean, you know, Fannie or Freddie are not full faith in credit. Ignore that. That's nonsense. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mae are full faith in the U.S. government. They will not go down. If you think Fannie and Freddie might default, your might advice is to, you know, get a gun, cans of tuna, and small denomination of gold coins because it'll be the end of civilization. Um, it's not going to happen. Um, mortgage bonds, it's just very simply, they've taken Fannie Mae, Freddie Mae, Ginny Mae, these government agencies, they collect tens of thousands of mortgage loans, put them into single securities, stamp them and guarantee them, put them out in the market, and they trade like water. It's the second biggest asset class of, secure, of bonds after U.S. treasuries, more than munis, more than corporates. Um, no one ever sees these bonds because they're very hard to buy as a civilian. They're very hard for ordinary investors to buy them. I mean, professionals, hedge funds, Pensions, insurance, they're the huge buyer banks. They're the big buyers of these things. Civilians don't buy these things. That's why they're not familiar with them. Um, I've invented a product. We've invented a product that allows you to get these bonds. Um, but that's a, we'll ignore the sales pitch for later. Um, and they're trading, you know, 100 over. This is what you should be buying. Um, you should be over allocating to this sector of the market. Um, the risk is this when you are in bond land. You could take duration risk, credit risk, convexity risk. Those are the three buttons you could push. If you, you have cash, overnight money in treasuries, if you go away from that, duration risk is one of the money back. One year, five year, 10 years, 30 year. Credit risk, will I get it back? Will the company default or not? Convexity risk is how you get it back. And this is what mortgage bonds have. They have they have this convexity risk because you don't know when you'll get your money back. Because when you buy the mortgage bond, you're basically buying the underlying mortgage effectively. That homeowner can keep that loan out there for 30 years or prepay tomorrow. You just don't know. And that's the risk you have. This optionality is the risk you're short in a mortgage bond. Um, and it's, you know, it's a bother. Um, is it worth 100 over uh, credit bonds? No, it's not worth that much. Um, and that's why you should buy these things. So you're taking convexity risk as opposed to credit risk. You, 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 are un, you don't know if you're getting money back in two or three years or five or eight years. So it's, it's, it, I think it's the best trade out there. In why, yeah, bonds. Why, yeah. In bonds. In bonds. 
what and can you explain like explain it in like a really simple way like i i know like um not like you said not everyone is in bond land it's mostly the professionals who are in it but can you explain it for like that kind of lay person like a really simple so, way yeah okay most people are for those stocks many people are for what's called a covered call strategy so you buy ibm at 100 you sell the 105 call against it for three points, and you're taking in there's three points of money. If IBM goes up above 105, you lose the stock. It's called from you. So you make you make 108, right? Because you took in the three points. That's the most you can make. IBM goes to 120, 130, 150, 500. You're stopped out at 105. And the downside, you own that stock one for one. You know, down to 90, 80, 70, 50. Um, so you're, you, but you've taken in three points of money, but you've shifted your payoff profile to where you have all the downside and at least some of the upside. A mortgage bond acts the same way. It's kind of like a covered call on a 10-year treasury. And the option you're selling is not a one, two, or three-month option. It's like a three-year option. Well, it's actually a 30-year option, but it acts modeled like a three-year option. And, and, and you're getting the extra yield because you're selling this call option, this theoretical call option for a very fancy number, a very high premium. And this call option is worth so much more now because implied volatility is high. So you look at the move index, it's still well above its long-term average. The move index being the VIX for bonds. And the yield curve is inverted. That requires need more math I'm not going to go into. But those two things have elevated the value of this theoretical call option. And so you're basically creating a buy right where synthetically you're buying a treasury and selling a call against it. Instead of doing those two legs by yourself, you're buying a mortgage bond that mimics that kind of risk return profile. Um, and that's it. Um, I think it makes sense because I, I, I'm not sure you can see treasuries exploding higher in price. I'm also not sure you can see them crashing down either. I think you'll probably see, you know, can you get past 5%? Probably pretty tough. So we're probably in a range. So the covered call strategy is actually a, is functionally a good idea. It kind of fits my view of the world. And I'm buying a cheap security. If I thought rates were going to go 2%, mortgage bonds, bad idea, right? If those were going to, if I thought rates were going to 8%, once again, mortgage bonds, bad idea. Because I'm short that uncertainty of maturity. If I think rates are going to stay between three and five, great trade. Do you think rates will stay between three and five? Yeah, I do. Okay. So this kind of fits into like your macro framework as well, this particular trade. Yep. My, my macro view is, and I won't even call it my macro view. I'll call it just, I'm old, lost most of my hair, kind of seen, you know, a few rodeos going around. Um, and what do I know? I know that the Fed wants a 2% inflation. Let's call that two. Usually, they want a real rate, a real return, a Fed funds rate of half a percent over. So that's two and a half. And lo and behold, you look at the Fed's long-term forecast in the dots. They've said 2.6 is their long-term number where they want, you know, they think the rates are going to be, you know, 2026, 27, 28. Um, the usual spread of the Fed funds rate to the two-year rate, half a point. Okay, well, now with three. 
The usual spread for the two-year up to the 10-year is 100 basis points, 1%. That's four. Where are we at right now? We're at four. I mean, everything's kind of all, I mean, the 10-year is basically the fulcrum. I think what you're going to see is the Fed will cut rates. They will cut rates. They'll cut them slower than the market thinks. And we're going to rotate around that 10-year point at four. And you're going to see the two-year rate come down, not as fast as the market's predicting, but still come down. And you're going to see the 30-year rate actually go up a little bit. And that's going to go and take these mortgage bonds actually up in price because mortgage bonds, they have a, a curve sensitivity to them. And once again, you can go to my website, read some of my past commenters, where I go through the actual math and why this works. Uh, and I'll just say to you, if we rotate around the 10-year point, you're going to go and see mortgage bonds go up in price while tenure prices stay unchanged. Got it. Well, you know, um, Harley, you are the convexity maven, and I've seen you write about this, that everything revolves around convexity. Um, but it isn't always the most intuitive for folks to understand. So like as a convexity maven, can you help us understand convexity and why it matters? Convexity is not a natural, comfortable idea um, because you're basically working on, I don't want to say multidimensional, but you're working at different speeds for different things. And it, it's not intuitive and it's uncomfortable and challenging to understand. In the simplest way to understand is this. If you have a, an outcome, a bet, something where there's, it's a coin flip and Usually with a coin flip, you make a dollar, lose a dollar. It's even on both sides. If you have a situation with this coin flip where you make $2 and lose only $1, that's positive convexity. It's a non-linear payoff profile where you make more than you lose. Negative convexity would be you lose three, you make two. You lose more than you make for equal outcomes. What we do in bond land and where we hired all these physics PhDs in the 90s is to say, okay, if, if a, uh, uh, a bet makes 4%, called the 10-year treasury, um, it has convexity, we'll ignore that for now, pays out, four, it costs 4%, yields 4%. If I had another similar investment that made two and lost one. Well, if they both were at 4%, clearly buy the one that's up to lose one, wouldn't I? So I got to go and adjust the price. I adjust the price by making the yield lower. Now, should that yield be 375, 350, three and a quarter? I don't know. I just know one thing. I know it's lower. I know it's lower to go and make it. So I'm indifferent between getting 4% for a one for one bet or three and a half percent for up to lose one. Similarly, if I have a bet that's lose three, make two, I would never buy that at 4%. It's got to be higher. It's got to be four and a quarter, four and a half, five, somewhere there. What the bond geeks did is use models to game out the theoretical, you know, break even of where all those different bets should pay off. So the negatively convex bets had a higher yield, and the public ones had a lower yield. What I'm saying right now is when you do all the bond math on this thing, a mortgage bond being 100 basis points 
more than a corporate bond or 150 more than a treasury is the wrong price. It should be much lower than that. Well, it's not for, for various reasons. It doesn't really matter. Who cares why it's there? I'll just say it's the wrong number and you'll probably earn a better risk-adjusted return by owning these mortgage bonds because it is theoretically and functionally too high of a yield versus other assets out there. So that's convexity. Um, options, options are pure convexity, right? You pay a dollar and you can make infinite or you can lose money. I mean, look at uh, NVIDIA options. Uh, I'm not sure you can play this thing. Oh, we're recording it, you know, a few hours before the- We'll the play it after. It'll be after the NVIDIA earnings, so- well, if you go look at, at the bit of options trading right now, uh, your eyes will pop out of your head um, because the options trading very, very expensive prices. People try to figure out what's this event, what's this risk worth? Is it too high or too low? I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's hard to predict uh, you know, any company's single earnings, but I mean, we kind of know. We kind of know how homeowners are going to react and how fast they will refinance when we have millions and millions of homes. I'm not doing one homeowner. I'm doing millions of homeowners. We kind of know how they react when the economy changes, when inflation changes, when rates change, when home prices change. We kind of know how they'll react. Therefore, we can model that up after 30, 40, 50 years of experience. And will that be that will be beneficial to the trade, right? Like when they refinance? Um, no. Actually, that okay. is how you lose money in this okay. trade. Good to because know then. When you buy your mortgage bond at, you know, let's say 5% right now, if rates go to eight, homeowners are not going to refinance, are they? Yeah, no way. You have a 5% loan, rates are eight, they're staying there. So you're going to have a 5% yield for 30 years. You'd like to get the new 8% rate if you're an investor, but you can't because your money's tied up there. If rates go to 2%, you're going to get your 5% yield for maybe a year for everyone refinances. So you're, the investment you made is going to poof, be gone. You get your cash back, have to reinvest it at 2%. So you lose both ways. Rates go up, you're stuck in the in for longer. Rates go down, you're cashed out shorter. That's why people, that's why guys are buying long-term bonds right now. They're trying to lock in a 4% yield. Are they right? I don't think so. But that, that's their logic is to lock in a rate it cannot be refinanced, cannot be taken away. Um, I feel like people are buying these long, these long-term securities right now. Got it. Well, Harley, it's been so great having you back on. I want to give you the last 60 seconds here to let folks know where they can read more of your work. Um, anything you want to plug for the folks who are watching and listening and any parting thoughts, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, I'm a managing partner with Simplify Asset Management. Um, and what we do is, is very clever. It's, it's it's so clever, it got me out of retirement. Um, we take um, a change in the rules from the SEC a few years ago, allowed people to put derivatives, futures, options, full return swaps, all these professional instruments into ETFs. We're basically a leader in putting derivatives into ETFs. Now, that is scary. Say the word derivatives, you know, Warren Buffett called them, you know, financial mass destruction devices despite the fact he's a huge user of derivatives, um, we basically take these derivatives, put them into ETFs, and it allows civilians, non-professionals, to get access to these professional products. And for a variety of reasons, 
This allows investors to very often get a better yield, a better return profile for the same risk. Um, and that's what we do. And we've gone from zero to three and a half billion uh, in short order. Uh, we have a number of very clever products uh, that can suit your needs. We're not going to tell you what risk to take. We're just going to give you a better way to do it. Okay, you're the you're driving the car. We're just going to give you a better car to drive. And, and so you should look at what we what we offer out there. They're they're pretty clever and um, worthwhile. Yeah. Well, Harley Bassman, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, your ideas, and great to see you again. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Have a good day.